Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. All right. Welcome to episode 10 of the Better Life podcast. Today, I have with me my wonderful friend, Howard Hargrove. Welcome, Howard. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. The topic for today is going to be success to significance and making the move from success in, in sales, business, leadership, which I know is a huge portion of our listening audience, to significance or calling. And obviously, this is a topic that's come up for us a few different times at this point. And to kick off the episode, I want to share one of my all-time favorite quotes, quite possibly my favorite quote of all time. Mm. And it's by Aristotle. And he says, where your talents and the needs of the world cross, there lies your vocation. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. And so from the, the conversations we've had in the past, I know one of the things we've really connected on is we have this common history in sales, business, leadership, and I have a ton of respect and admiration for you. And I feel you feel like you're a lot further along in the journey than I am, both in those realms, as well as the realm of husband, father, spiritual leader. So I can't say thank you enough for that, for your friendship. So I want to tap into some of that today because you made this move from having this really unbelievably successful career, which we'll get into in a second, but then getting to a point where you realized, hey, that success while that was good and you were able to impact a lot of people, that wasn't necessarily your life's calling per se. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into, hey, how did you make this move into this different phase, this different chapter of your life where it became more about significance and what you were doing for other people and less about accomplishments, achievements, accolades that you were achieving in the, in the business world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to talk a lot about purpose today and Whenever Dave and I are doing these episodes, one of the questions we always ask before we jump on is, hey, what are we really trying to accomplish with this episode? Like, what right. do we want the listener to take away from this? Mm-hmm. And as I was thinking about that, I hope what people take away today is this process and some inspiration from you on discovering your purpose and then figuring out a way to live out that purpose, which is exactly what you're, you're doing right now. We're going to talk a lot about the topic of fatherless boys. Mm-hmm. today because mm-hmm. it happens to be the arena that that your calling is in. And that's where you and I first connected through our church. Flatirons is on this topic of we share this common heart and this common passion for pouring into fatherless boys specifically. So we'll get into that. But before we do, I think a great starting point for today is if you could give the listening audience a little bit of background on yourself, how you grew up, your personal life, your professional life, and catch us up to speed on... <laughs> several decades worth of life and in, in business experience before you got to this this move from success to significance. Well, I'll try to do that in a summarized fashion. Yeah, no no pressure. I had my 68th birthday last week, so I have a few- uh, Happy birthday. Thank you. I have a few skid tread marks up my back and <laughs> uh, you know some, some skin knuckles and things like that from experience. But, you know, they say experience is making a mistake and- learning from it, you know, Mm. so done a lot of that. So I grew up here in Denver. I was born in Tulsa, and my father moved us to Denver when I was five years old. And we grew up here, and it was a wonderful place to grow up. Had went to high school here, junior high school here, went up to University of Colorado State, where I met my lovely wife, Anne. 
We've yeah. been married 45 years this Go year. Go Rams. Go Rams. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday they'll have a football team we can all cheer for. <laughs> anyway, got degree in geology with the intention of teaching high school, physics and, and earth science. At the time, I was doing a lot of volunteer work for Young Life, and oh, right. I was leading the clubs. And in fact, my buddy and I, we opened the first club at Rocky Mountain High School, which is now a big high school in Fort Collins. We opened the Young Life Club there. Lots of fun. Lots of good experience. Got married. Well, it did the internship in teaching and decided maybe that wasn't for me. And got a job with Conoco Minerals of my geology degree. Worked around the West looking for uranium and lithium at the time. Yeah. This was before Three Mile Island. <laughs> Everybody's like, that's ancient history. <laughs> you dated yourself there yeah, for there, sure. Yeah, there was a time where uranium was important, and I think it's going to be again. I mean, as people look for clean energy, but that's a whole rabbit trail. Anyway, that led to a master's degree in geology and volcanology, geochemistry at Arizona State University, which led me into working in the oil business for mm. Petrolos, which was a, a independent, large independent company here in Denver. Okay. Did that for five or six years, discovered a big oil field for them, which was thrilling. And then the price of oil went down to $10 a barrel. Hard to imagine that today. Yeah, imagine that. But eviscerated that, you know, <laughs> that whole industry. So I got into software. I'm like, okay, what's next? You know, I've been in minerals and oil. Now, now let's try something new. So I'm not afraid to try something new. So yeah. I started a software company that was here in Denver, had about 50 employees. It was Inc. 500 company for like 10 years and... It was doing parcel manifesting, and then UPS and FedEx started to give away those parcel manifests, and that sort of was the end of that company. So I sold that and then found this remote enterprise executive sales job, which I'd been at for 30 years or so, selling high-level, multimillion-dollar supply chain software. I happened to be with a company that was working with the largest retailers in North America, so I was traveling all over you know, sitting with CIOs and CEOs and CFOs of, you know, Fortune 100 retailers, which was interesting, helping them solve their problems and, and that sort of thing was, it was an interesting business. But after doing that for 30 years, 20 years with the company I retired from, you know, there was just a sort of a, I don't know, a gnawing discontent that was starting to build inside of me. Like, is this all there is, you know, yeah. making good money? Traveling a lot, not seeing my wife a lot, you know, not not seeing the kids a lot. You know, by this time the kids were grown, some were married, but got two wonderful kids and two wonderful grandkids. But I found a group of men that were in a similar situation. Yeah, you know, third quarter of life or this seventh inning stretch or whatever you want to call it. It's like, okay, what's next? You know, right. we would talk about that and we would pray about that and we would. You know, one of the guys that was leading, I'm, I'm so grateful for, Jeff Spatafora. He started this group of 10 guys, and we shared life, and we shared our successes and our failures, and what do we want? And his admonition was to, he was a halftime coach of coaches. And, and Bob oh, Buford right. is the one that really, halftime, that really coined success to significance, right, in his yeah. book, Halftime. And Jeff was the guy that was training the coaches to coach all over the country. So he had great tools in his belt. The thing that struck me was, you know, find what breaks the heart of God. Find what breaks your heart. Listen to 
the experience he's taking you through, taking you through, what do you have to offer and what brings you joy? Mm. So all of those were different exercises during the time together. It's been a group I've been in for five years, so it's been a journey. One of those, what brings you joy, was your listeners might enjoy this. I mean, I, he had us just sit back, close our eyes, and think of the happiest times in our lives. Just go back as far as you can. And it was always with kids, mm. and it was always in the outdoors, and it was always helping them change the trajectory of their lives. And that's when I found most fulfillment. So I, I started getting a picture of how can I do that? How can I get involved with kids that need help and really need a life change trajectory? They're heading down the wrong path and use you know God's great outdoors for a classroom to show them that life is bigger than you know an iPhone, right? And social media and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, so good. Yeah, so when I ran across Fathers in the Field, it's a mission with the purpose of rebuilding and rekindling the spirit of fatherless boys that have been a- abandoned by their father. And there's a deep, deep father wound in a boy when he's abandoned by his father, when he's two, three, four, five, six. I mean, it, it never goes away unless one deals with it, right? Right. How did you stumble across Fathers in the Field? Well, I was doing research. You know, the, the, okay. if, if you look... One of the things that I have in front of me here is a bunch of Bible verses about God's calling of his church to take care of the fatherless and the orphans, the widows, fatherless or orphans, and their mothers, which are the widows of our day, right? Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't hard to find lots of scripture to say, this is important to God, right? Yeah. And I had a friend who is a great man who found fathers in the field before I did, and came to me seven years ago and said, hey, I'm, this is a great ministry. You'd be great in it. And would you support me? And I said, sure. So I, I was supporting him a monthly check for a while. And he said, you'd be a great mentor, Father. And you know, I'm like, oh, I don't have time for that. You know, so I'm, I'm too busy doing this stuff. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he kept after me. And God kept after me, you know. Yeah. And I started looking into it. And I said, this is, a, this is fantastic, you know. So with the help of these men— to give me the courage to quit a lucrative job that I was very good at and spent 20 years, you know, rising to the peak. This is much less financially rewarding, but much more wholly rewarding right. uh, thing that I'm doing. So Right. And would you say, it's funny, I mean, you ran through some of your background pretty quickly. Yeah. And I made a couple notes because I'm like, well, hold on a second. You, you glossed over that probably quicker than you should. You built this business, National Registers, for 10 years. Yeah. And you grew that from, correct me if I'm wrong, you grew that from a startup business to about 50 employees before right. you sold it. Right. right. Like, that's a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not just some little blip on the, the timeline of your life. Well, you um, learn a lot doing that. You sure do. So you have, this, you have this incredible experience where you've worked for corporate giants, and then you've also started your own company. Right didn't just start it, but scaled it, made it into something very successful over, over a decade's time, and then you know, moved back into this corporate world. But you were, you were interfacing with corporations. You were interfacing with a lot of the big wigs. You were in sales. It's cool. You just have this unbelievable breadth of experience. And I wanted to ask, do you feel like 
that 30 years of work experience that you had, success in sales, success in business, you know, seeing both sides of that, would you say that set you up to be able to pursue this calling later on in life? Yeah, there's no doubt. Because on the one hand, I think somebody could be in the position where they're looking at the work they're doing is not necessarily their calling and feel like I need to get out of this and I need to find a career or a position where I am pursuing my calling and that overlaps with my work. But my bet is that some of that financial success you experienced in that world gave you some breathing room to be able to dive into this calling. Yes. Is that fair to say? Certainly. You learned some incredible skills. You learned how to talk to a pretty wide variety of people. And as you've transitioned into this new world where I think it's been about two years. Yeah, a little over 18 months. Yeah, that you've been a regional field missionary. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about why Fathers in the Field versus some of the other organizations that you could have partnered with. And then you mentioned this father wound. And I definitely wanted to, to hear more about yeah. that. If you can share more about this father wound sure. and why that really strikes the core of your heart. Before I did that, I'd like to go back and touch on what you just said about life preparation. Mm-hmm. There is a wonderful vantage point from being almost 70. You look back on your life and you go, I didn't get it at the time. But you know, I spent 10 years being a Boy Scout leader. Mm. And that really helped me understand there were fatherless boys in the Boy Scout troop. But the power of teaching them how to be self-sufficient in the woods and that sort of thing. In my business that I started, very entrepreneurial and very startup and very managerial, you know, it's learned lots of things about, you know, managing people and, and managing business and, and managing the activities you have to do to accomplish something. Yeah. And in, in my career as an executive salesperson, you know, completely lost any fear of getting up in front of CIOs of a $50 billion company and talking about the, the good things that'll happen if they do what I'm asking them to do yeah. to their company, how it's going to help them, how it's going to do that, right? Overcoming objections, right? Mm-hmm. So today, my job is to find churches, very much like cold calling, yep. right? And engage with the senior executives, which are the senior pastors, and try to plant in their heart a good thing that would happen to their church and their men and the boys if they if they plant this ministry in their right. church and then get them to act on it, right? which is, you know, 40 years of experience in doing that. So you look back and you go, gosh, God, you know, <laughs> I guess you know what you're doing, you know, totally. it's crazy. It is crazy. And, and all the, all the times that you're wading through the muck going, oh, what's this about? You know, yep. there's great value. He has a much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're also, once you get a program up and running, you're also using those skills from your entrepreneurial years in leadership and management, you know, helping churches identify the church champions, right? which are really the leaders, and then helping to identify mentor fathers, right? right? And then helping yeah. to, I mean, I've sat through your training. Yeah, you got to train them. Yeah. Right, like you're, you're wearing a lot of different hats, but you're, but you're right, it is crazy how all the things you had been doing over the last 30 years. Mm, so true. It's now just in a in a different arena. How yeah, cool is that? It's very cool. And and it was confirming when my guys pointed that out. Mm. It's like God has been preparing you all your life for this. Yeah. What are you afraid of? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you know, there's fears. I'm afraid I can't take care of my family. I'm afraid of God God's not big enough to take care of me and all that stuff. You know, all of all the fears 
that you face, but there's great confidence built looking back going, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. And you had this, you said you got to this point where you had this gnawing yes. inside yes. of you. Yes. It's got to be more. How long did that go on before, uh, before you got into that discipleship group with Jeff? It was the impetus for joining. So it was a couple of years, you okay. know? Yeah. And the gnawing is there's got to be more, but I don't know what it is, right? And right. I don't know how to, I mean, I, I had a, a variety. I mean, every one of the things I could have done, a high school teacher, a minerals geologist, an oil geologist, an entrepreneur, you know, salesman, I, they call, all could have been careers, you know, mm-hmm. different, in different directions, right? Right. So where is the purpose in it all? And it's been really fun to just... So today, I look at all of that and I realize that I wasn't in control, God was in control, and the things that were happening were all for his good, his glory, and my preparation yeah. for this. And so it gave me a lot of confidence to take the step. Yeah, so good. So, I love that you're at a point now where you can see that. Yeah. Right, because I bet there's a lot of people listening today that, that need to hear that, where they don't necessarily see how all the pieces fit together That's now, right. but they'll I, be able to look back yeah. five, 10, 20 years from now, and they'll yeah. be able to, to have that same perspective that you have right now. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I'll just say this, you just, once you realize it, you have to have the guts and the faith to take the step. Yeah. And it's funny how you say it's a gnawing, right? Because once you say, like, once you start feeling that it doesn't just go away. That's right. Like you're kind of ruined from that point on. (laughs) But it's, it's the beginning of the opening of the seed. (laughs) That's right. I say, I say ruined. No, it's true. It's not a bad thing. But it's true. It's, it's, you you know, you're very used to the way things are and it's all going to be different and that's hard and change and, you know, but, but realizing that a seed has to die, you know, and then break open Mm. before something new can come out of it, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. So go back to this father wound because you felt this calling, you put in the work to, I'm going to say, take personal inventory of your strengths and what gave you joy. And you got into this group. And as you were discovering these things, and then you, not by accident, ran across fathers in the field from this friend of yours. What was it in particular about fatherless boys and this father wound that drew you into that? And talk talk about that father wound. Yeah, it's a great, great question, Rob, a great question. And one that that is absolutely central into what pushed me over the edge, right? Yeah. I wanted to do something that was good for not only God and the kingdom, but for the society and America. Mm. I bet most of your listeners don't know that there's 50% of the children in America are fatherless. They're growing up without a dad. Yeah. On average, I mean, in, in Chicago, it's 90 plus percent, you know, in the inner cities, but in the rural areas, maybe it's 30, but still on average, 50%. There's 12 and a half million boys that don't have fathers in this country. Yeah. So when I realized that and started researching the impact of the father wound, you, you, it's very quickly you see that 85% of boys in juvenile detention centers are fatherless. Yeah. That blew my mind when you shared that with me the first time. It's crazy, Yeah, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And most of the rapists are fatherless and most of the adolescent murders. I mean, many of these mass murderers that pick up these guns are fatherless boys, yeah. you know? So they have a wound inside of them. They don't know what to do with. Yeah, it's and an epidemic. It is an epidemic. And this country has the highest level of fatherlessness 
of all developed countries in the world. That's insane. It's insane. Yeah. So having the opportunity to do something for that God cares about and do something that could change America, mm-hmm. you know, one boy at a time. I mean, this is how Jesus worked, one heart at a time, right? Yeah. It's it's completely, you know, fulfilling and very, very moving to be involved in something that could change society and change a boy's life. So, yeah, yeah the you know, the, the statistics are just, they drop out of school, they abuse alcohol, they abuse drugs. They have this wound they're trying to fill. And it's, the, it's a wound of, I'm not worthy. You know, wh- what was it, Dad, that you decided was more important than me that you left me? Mm. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this before, how logically that doesn't make sense to, to, to somebody like me. Like, that's on your dad. That's not on you. But yeah. yet that's, a, that's not how it's perceived. It's not how it's interpreted by a boy growing up without a dad. Right? Yeah, they feel he thinks, like something's wrong with them. He thinks he's, he's the fault. Yeah, that's so sinister. If I can share this, when you and I first met, it was through this interest that I had in Fathers in the Field, and yeah. Brad put us in touch. I was talking to him about getting involved in one of the church programs, and he said, actually, have you thought about this other program? And I said, well, I have actually. Yeah, I did. But, but at the time when I was first introduced to it, I felt like I, I couldn't really commit to it. Right. And then— you know, when we were having this conversation, I said, I'm, I'm in a much better place in life where, where I feel like I can commit to that. And I do have the time. And it's a three-year commitment that you're making to, to a boy that you're a mentor father to. And so then naturally I got connected with you and we had a chance to interview and we've had a chance to hang out and get to know each other better outside of that. But one of the things I shared with you was there's probably a lot of people that are listening that can relate to this, that in my experience in, in business and when I was building my insurance agency, you know, we had sadly, really high turnover. That's a, that's a really tough position. Yeah. And because it's a tough position for a lot of different reasons, and because it has really high turnover, one of the things that I was best at and one of the things that was most necessary to succeed in that business was recruiting and interviewing. So that that's a skill that I honed and sharpened and got really good at over the years. And, and, and I have a lot of joy in that. But as I'm doing, I mean, literally at this point in my career, tens of thousands of interviews One of the things that I started to notice several years into that was before I ever met you, before I ever knew that this father wound even existed, I started to notice, I would go home and I would say to my wife, I would interview these people and I would sometimes end up working with people who grew up without dads. And I would say, I see these guys at 20 something, 30 something, 40 something, 50 something years old Mm -hmm. that are still dealing with a lot of baggage Mm -hmm. that they haven't really resolved. They haven't really dealt with. And in a really tough sales position like that, where it's full commission, lots of cold calling, lots of rejection that brought to surface a lot of that stuff. And it was really uncomfortable for a lot of those guys. And I, and I saw, I saw it really hold back some guys. Mm. And then I saw other ones who performed at an unbelievably high level, but it came from this really unhealthy place. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Of their achievement came from this feeling of, I'm not good enough. I have to prove something to, to myself and to people around me. Yeah. And that's a never ending cycle that just ends up in, in exhaustion and emptiness because at some point it doesn't matter how much you put up in numbers. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much recognition you get. That doesn't truly fill that void until you heal that wound. And so I used to go home and say to her, man, if only I could, (laughs) if only I could get a hold of these guys when they were teenagers, you know, when they were 
9, 10, 12, 13, 15 years old. That's the target. Holy cow, how much different their life could be if they had a good role model, if they had somebody teaching them good principles, if they had somebody pouring into them at that age. But it's unbelievably sad. My heart went out to a lot of these guys where you can see like they're still struggling with this stuff at 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And they're still looking for their next career and they're still dealing with a lot of this baggage. And man, I just felt like I saw that so much that before I really knew some of the stats that you just shared, I saw this is a problem. This is a problem that there, there's a lot of guys out there who haven't had really good role models in their life. And there's actually a pretty big gap that's missing from not having a dad in the picture when they were coming up. Mm-hmm, for sure. World. So Many of these follows boys. In fact, the statistics show that 85% of boys that have been abandoned will abandon their children. And the cycle just goes. That's why it's an epidemic, right? Mm-hmm. The other 15% will try to prove to the world their worth, you know, to their dad that may, they may not know that I'm worthy, right? And, that, and they'll be CEOs, executives, they'll be high level, but you know what? They'll abandon their family right. by seeking their own fame and fortune. They'll still abandon their family yeah, because they're not, you know, they're just not balanced, right? So it's interesting. That's an interesting comment you made. Yeah. So true. I want to lob a pretty tough question at you here. Good. Naturally, some people are listening and thinking, hey, why the, why this focus, Howard, on fatherless boys? Yeah. Right? And it's funny how you and I shared that passion, yeah. specifically for boys, yes. right? Not that we don't care about all kids, but it was specifically for boys. And I could see where somebody would go, hey, why are you not as concerned about fatherless girls? Can you speak to that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. It's a similar, you know, obviously, father leaves, there's a boy and a girl in the family, they're both hurt, mm-hmm. right? The ministry is dedicated on boys for a couple of reasons. One is every institution or people trying to help fatherless boys recognize mentoring, one-on-one mentoring is how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, men to boys, right? There is something about a boy needing a man to show him how to be a man, and it has to be one-on-one mentoring. So our ministry is focused on finding godly men to come mentor these fatherless kids. One-on-one, they really can't, men can't really do that with girls, right? Right. Now, it'd be wonderful if there's a ministry that would do one-on-one mentoring with fatherless girls. It's important. It needs to be there. But what I respect about this ministry is they choose their lane and be very good at it. Yeah. The other thing that statistics show is that if men— Men lead their family, whether they want to or they know it or not. They either lead their family down the path of destruction or they lead their family to a great place of of worthiness. So if you can change a man, a boy, when he's 10, 11, 12, 13, into a man that has a purpose, he will formulate a family that has purpose and and will break that cycle of abandonment. A girl just... I don't know. I think it's the way you know God designed things. It doesn't have that same impact on the on the family. I'm not saying it's any less or better or whatever. It's just the truth. Right? It's just different. It's just different. Yeah. So bringing a boy to understand that he has a heavenly father that will never abandon him, loves him just the way he is, is a life changing thing for a boy that has a, a skewed view of God through the eyes, through the glasses of his father that you know maybe. 
hitting him, abusing him, leaving him, whatever. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you, you went there because I wanted to touch on this. There's these three goals with the Fathers in the Field program. Can you talk about those for a second? Sure. The mentors, well, the ministry is based around helping the boys understand healthy fatherhood by watching an earthly mentor model that healthy fatherhood. So we teach them about fatherhood. There's a curriculum that the mentors meet with the boys once a month that teaches them about faith, mm -hmm. right? And the importance of faith and the importance of understanding that, like I said, they have a heavenly father who loves them and no matter what and will never abandon them. This is mind-blowing for a fatherless boy because he's like, his view of God is angry up in the sky with a baseball bat ready to take him out at the knees, you know? Right, and then that affects their view of themselves. It's totally does, well. totally yeah. does. The last pillar is forgiveness. In the third year of the mentoring program is focused on helping the boy understand that he's been forgiven, and so he needs God's calling him to forgive his father. Mm. These boys start this like, there's no way I'm going to forgive that, you know, SOB, because what he did to me, right? right? But it's a beautiful thing to watch in, in year three, them, their heart sharpens and they realize that I don't want to, but I'm commanded to forgive my father. And what does that do? I mean, the father may be dead. Father may be in prison for life. He may never see his father again. They may not know who the father is. May not know who the father is. Exactly right. But as we all know, when you forgive, it releases your heart from the hold that that negative thing has on it. So when you forgive that father who wounded you, you're healing your wound. Yeah. So it's faith. It's fatherhood, faith, and forgiveness. So good. We can end the episode right there and it'd be great. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. You're <laughs> but, the boss. But we're not going to. All right. <laughs> so I want to bring this full circle, right? Because I love this ministry. This is how you and I first connected. We, we both share this passion for it. But one of the other things we've really connected on is, as I mentioned before, we have very similar stories, mm. right? Mm -hmm. In sales, business, leadership. We have similar stories in you and I grew up with dads in the picture and not perfect dads, but really good dads. Right. Right. Like a lot better than, than totally. what a lot of people have. So what an unbelievable blessing that is. And yet you and I both found sales and business as an outlet that let us go achieve it. Let us go get recognized. It let us go find this outlet to do something that we were really good at. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that resonates with a lot of the people that listen to this podcast. And so let's talk about that a little bit more where not everybody on this podcast grew up without a dad. There's a lot of people who grew up with great dads, great moms, great families. But I think all of us, I think the longer I'm on this earth, Howard, I realize all of us have some sort of baggage. We have some sort of brokenness. And it's funny how typically the more baggage, the more brokenness somebody has in, in a really weird kind of crazy way, the more well-equipped they are to go achieve at a really high level in sales and business, mm, mm, right? Mm. And so I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's healthy. I'm also not saying that's bad, right? But it's kind of ironic how that works out. And so can you share a little bit about what that's been like for you as you reflect back on your career, where I know both you and I have shared stories, not in great detail, but if we could go back and do it all over again, we would probably have done it a little bit differently in terms of, we sold out to our work. Uh -huh. We neglected some really important priorities in our life. Uh -huh. 
And that didn't always come from a bad place. That was maybe misguided good intentions. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a common struggle. Not only I've been through myself, but I've seen for a lot of people who Mm -hmm. achieve that sales leadership business at a high level where they care deeply about what they do for work. They care deeply about the people in their life that they're providing for. They care deeply about the people that they work with. And especially if they're in leadership, the people that they've been entrusted to lead and that they're shepherding. And yet that can lead to misaligned priorities, getting too wrapped up in your work, having a warped view of your identity and where your value comes from. Can you talk a little bit about what that's been like for yourself? And if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self (laughs) 10, 20, 30 years ago, what what are some of the pieces of advice or wisdom that you've gained that you'd want to share with yourself? You know, I've had the opportunity to mentor younger men in business and ones that are starting out and especially ones that are bright eyed and all excited about starting their own company. Mm -hmm. And I advise them to be sure to count the cost. When I started my company, you know, failure wasn't an option. It was the kind of thing that it had to happen. It was hard. It was, it was software. So I'd spent all day selling an idea. Then I'd come back and I found this great programmer that I'd sit with him from 7 p.m. till 2 a.m. every night and on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 2 and Sundays from noon to 2 in the morning. And we did that seven days a week for six months, right? Yeah. And it was at the same time my daughter was born with a lot of health issues and I just wasn't home. I wasn't supporting my wife. I wasn't supporting my daughter. I was completely consumed in making this a success. Now, in my own mind, I rationalized it like I'm providing. This is what God wants me to do. I'm providing. Yeah, but I think that's what we all do. We all do. Yeah. But it's a, it's a minefield that I learned through thousands of dollars of counseling later that in reality, it was all about me. It was yeah. all about my pride. It was all about me showing to the world that I could do this and I could be successful. And everything else was... T- to the side, and I didn't have balance. There was, this hit me, uh, my daughter was three, my wife came home from the grocery store, she was in the grocery cart, you know, how you put them on the front here and drive around, and she's in the grocery store and she's pointing, is that my daddy? Is that my daddy? To these men in the grocery store. (laughs) She comes home and says, you won't believe what happened today. And it just, it tore my heart open. Yeah. You know? What a gut shot. Yeah. And I have no memories of her first three years of life. I mean, you can't get that back. Yeah. So what would I do different? I do that differently. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of emotion behind that. And if I can give you a second here, I think something you said there that's really impactful is, is I know you were half joking, right? That cost me thousands of dollars in counseling. Yeah. Uh But it was good. Yeah. So, so me too. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. So, if any part of that relates to you and you're listening to this and you're not in counseling, do it. <laughs> do it. Yeah, do it and and get over yourself and yeah. get over this stigma that if you're going to counseling, there's something wrong with you. Hey, newsflash, there's something wrong with all of us. Yeah. And the sooner you can find somebody to talk to and help you unpack that and understand that yeah. and understand the story and the narrative behind that and then some strategies to deal with that, you'll, you'll just be in such a better place. Amen. And thank God for those good people in our lives. So there's an action step for you right away. (laughs) And then you said this word that I hear a lot that I think is 
it's funny because I always go, mm, makes me shake my head and I get, I get nervous and my anxiety level goes up. This, this word balance, mm-hmm. right? Because I, it's I, hard. Oh, it's so hard and it's unbelievably subjective. And can you talk a little bit about that when you talk about like finding balance? How does somebody that's listening to this, how do they achieve success and how do they crush it at whatever it is that they're doing? Because I think there is something honorable in that. Yeah, totally. And, and I think there's something that pleases God when we take what we do and we take our gifts and abilities and, and we do whatever that thing is that we're doing with excellence. Like mm-hmm. we're really committed to it, but not doing it at the sacrifice of other things that frankly are more important in life. Mm-hmm. Like our spouses, our kids, our relationships, our personal health, our mm-hmm. spiritual health, mm-hmm. our physical health, right? Talk a little bit about how does somebody find that balance and do really well at both? Wow. So at that three-year mark, mm-hmm. when she was three, I was desperate to find something. I was sitting down with a good friend of mine. I had a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I was sharing my story. And I said, we got to do something. And he goes, well, why don't we take these girls camping? I said, but they're three. And two and a half. He said, yeah, I don't care. Let's go. <laughs> so we started a tradition of one weekend a year. We're talking about balance, right? Yeah. One weekend a year, we pack up our stuff. We take these girls into the woods and we said to them, there's only two rules. One, we're going to take this weekend at whatever speed you want, girls. So you want to sit down and watch a caterpillar for two hours? That's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. Rule number two is no whining. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that one weekend a year yeah. for 25 years wow. until my good friend died of kidney cancer. Oh. And those two girls both have two girls themselves, they're best of friends. And we came back from that first trip and my little daughter prayed every night for six months. Thank you, God, for my camping trip with my daddy. Oh. So I said, I think we're onto something. <laughs> And it it was a great tradition. And and today, she doesn't feel the rejection that she should have felt from my not paying attention to her because we focused for 48 hours a year. That's so powerful. It was powerful. Yeah. You're not supposed to make me cry on this podcast, Howard. (laughs) Well, that, I mean, I'm telling you, that's something if you you take each kid for a weekend and do something that's outside their comfort zone. Yeah. And focus and teach them something about the outdoors. It's beautiful. Yeah. What else? How did your calendar change on a week-to-week or month-to-month basis? How did you set up your calendar differently once you realized how destructive this was, right? Putting this much time and energy into business. How did it change with Anne? How did it change for you, taking care of you? So I started spending a little more more time with my wife. Let's go out to dinner. Let's spend some time. But but I learned that focus is what's important. Mm. And I focused on everything but me. So my health and my, all that went down the drain. I'm just starting to come back from that, you know, and this is years later, right? Yeah. So I'm just not very good at making all things good and glorious in life, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm always the last on the totem pole, right? Yeah. Well, that should give a lot of people listening yeah. hope. Like, <laughs> if you can do that a little bit faster than Howard did, you're yeah, going to be in good you're, shape. Yeah, you're in good shape. <laughs> Good. Brother, I appreciate you sharing that. That's good. This is so good. Thank you. 
One of the questions I, I shot over to before we jumped on here and we'll start to wrap up, you know, as Christians, both you and I believe that God has this unbelievable redemptive plan yeah. where he can bring some pretty incredible things out of some pretty bad scenarios and out of our brokenness and out of some of the mistakes we make. And I'm confident that um, just like that story with your daughter, that that's probably a really good example right there. But what are one or two other examples that come to mind or one or two stories of some really good things coming out of some really bad situations? Well, learning that God is trustworthy is one. And it was an important step for me to step out of something I knew well and was successful at to get into this new ministry, you know? Yeah. That comes, we don't have enough time to talk about all that, but that comes through trials and issues. And one of them was my daughter's illness we talked about and uh, briefly, that he healed her and, and, and brought her through that. And, you know, I had struggles in business. I had, you know, it's just all kinds of struggles. But it, it, it was clear to me that the, through the struggles that God always brought me through. So it gave me faith that, look, you're going in uncharted territory, but I will be walking with you. You yeah. know, that was important. Yeah. So I think that's important. And so when there's, when you're facing the world that looks like it's falling apart, you know, realize that the creator of the world and the king of the universe is sitting on his throne. He won't abandon you. Yeah. I've been through a couple of those moments where it felt like the world was falling apart. Yeah. You know, in the insurance business, I had, I had a few of those moments. What was one of those moments for you? Well, I think I told you in the company that I started for 10 years, and I don't go into this very often, I was doing parcel manifesting systems for supply chain, and it was going well, lots of employees, lots, lots of good stuff. And then, like I said, FedEx and UPS started giving away those systems, and I was too stubborn to see the future and decided to take out a big loan on my house to finance opening other offices in Salt Lake City and Dallas and Chicago. And, wow. And, you know, I mean, we just didn't have enough runway. And so— you were like Blockbuster when Netflix came out. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so uh, this is a house. You've been to my house. It's a house that uh, we designed, we built. I, it is such a gorgeous. Love this house. Yeah, and and, so and cool. I was about ready to lose it because the bank's like, well, you either got to pay this back or I guess we could sell your house. <laughs> I'm like, oh. ah. So there were days where I couldn't even take the covers back from my head walking through that, you know, and I ended yeah. up selling part of the business and liquidating this and that and us and paying creditors and just digging out of that. And and we got out of it, but it was a uh, dark tunnel. Yeah. Talk about a low moment. Yeah. But it was a moment in which I felt I needed and I felt the presence of God. Mm. Right? What do you say you needed that? Well, because like I said, I couldn't even, I couldn't even pull the covers back in the morning from my face. I didn't want to face the day. And so I'd say, help me. And when I started giving uh, it over to God, things started happening. And, you know, landlords started saying, you know what? We understand. Okay, we'll forgive that part of this. And Got it. It's almost like things got so bad. Maybe for the first time you let yourself start to become reliant on God rather right. than reliant on yourself. Yeah, because yeah. I, 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 I couldn't figure it out. Got it. So when, when I finally turned it over, I said, I can't do this. You know, you got to help. He's like, well, okay. Now I got you where I want you, you know, and things started happening. We dug out of that hole and got out of that without losing the house. And, yeah, you know, that was a really 
instructive time mm. to realize that there comes a point where you can't do it all yourself. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you're going to be. Dude, you're dropping gold nuggets left and right on this episode. <laughs> this is so good. This is so good. Like I said, a bunch of bruises. <laughs> well, I hope, well, I don't even hope. I'm confident that the stuff you've shared today, it's given people a lot of hope. Mm. It's given them some perspective. And, and it goes back to the whole purpose of why we do this podcast is you're writing a story worth telling. I mean, you're still in the process of writing that story, but yeah. it's, a, it's a really cool story so far. And here you are sharing, you know, some of the knowledge and perspective and some of the lessons that you've learned along the way. And I'm confident that that's going to help, you know, people that are on here go further faster in their own lives and mm. be better equipped to, to be in a good place on their journey as well. I think these problems that you're sharing with us, Howard, these are problems that all of us have dealt with in some form or fashion yeah. at some point. So, so good to hear somebody be on the other side of those problems and to have the the good attitude to be able to see the lessons from those and not just wallow in the misery. Mm. As we wrap up, Dave and I both have this tendency to be very theoretical. <laughs> and we talk about all these powerful ideas and powerful concepts, and it's really invigorating, but sometimes we got to buckle down and actually make them practical. Right. Right. So we like to have a couple action steps or a couple to-do items for people as they, as they get off of the episode. So if there was one or two or three things that you would encourage people to do based on the content we talked about today, what would be the action steps getting off of here? I appreciate that question. There is no doubt that the fatherlessness in this country is an epidemic that if we don't address it, I think we'll destroy the country. I do. I think there's no other way to put it. So the answer that we have found over the years, this ministry has been in active for 15 years, is to find guys like me who are willing to go knock on doors of churches and help pastors understand that guys like me can help them plant, train, and grow a ministry for fatherless boys in their church where their men can rise up to be these mentor fathers and change the lives of these boys at the same time changing the lives of these men. Most of these men that I've met say, I've never done anything that's nearly as important as this, what I'm doing. Yeah. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life, right? Yeah. So there's two action steps, I would say. Learn about this problem. I mean, you can go to fathersinthefield.com. You can look at the website. You can understand the problem. If you're moved, you can share some of the blessings that you have so that we can get more guys like me. I mean, there's seven or eight of us in this country, and there's 50 states, right? So I'm yeah. covering seven or eight states, and I'm not doing a very good job of it. All of us are. <laughs> but we at least need 50 of us, right? Yeah. But it costs money. You know, it costs $175,000 to put a missionary on the ground for the first 18 months to train him and pay him a base so mm. he can start raising his own support. So that's how you can impact this is to help us raise more missionaries. And you can do that by, like I said, going to the, the website. You can help support me. I mean, I need that too. So I think that's, if you're not feeling moved, well, you can go to your church and say, I want to be involved in this pastor. Yeah. And then on the website, there's a way for you to say, I want to be involved as a mentor father or a church champion. And if it's in one of my states, it'll come to me. And if it's in another state, it'll go to one of the guys and they'll call you and, and they'll work with you to try to get in front of a pastor to start this 
ministry in your church, you know? Yeah. Being a mentor father and being a church champion, which is what you, you've been for a while, is very fulfilling, you know? I mean, it, this is really important work. Yep. So, so get involved. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So just to recap, you guys need more regional field missionaries, right? which is the position you're in. You need church champions. You need more mentor fathers. You need more partners. And you also need financial support, right? And so there will be people on here that I'm sure are, are felt, felt led or called to pitch in in one of those areas. Or you may know somebody that you can pass this along to that, that feels led in one of those areas. And even if you don't, one other thing that we touched on before we started the episode was even if that, if you're like, hey, this is great information. I love it. Obviously, you're very passionate about this, Howard and, and Rob, but this doesn't really feel like my calling or it's, sure. it's not a direction I'm being led in. I think that the takeaway that I wrote down is how critical it was for you to get in that discipleship group. Yeah. Right. How impactful it was for you to be around 10 men that were at roughly the same place in life, asking a lot of the same questions and to really put in work. Absolutely. Right. And taking personal inventory and being really vulnerable in asking yourself new and different questions than what you had been asking yourself yeah. before then. And regardless of the whether that's through your church, through a religious organization or something that has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, church or religion at all, you know, getting into a mastermind group, getting into a, a small group with other peers that are, you know, at the same place in life or in business. I just think there's so much power. It's critical. Yeah. And having a group of people around you like that, that are asking different questions and looking for answers. So that's a good takeaway. If that's the only thing somebody got out of this episode, I think there would be a lot of value in that. Well, and if you can't find a group, start it. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're in the Denver area, you know, look up the way to life, the way to life. That That's the group run by Jeff. He's, he's starting new groups every year. Yeah. of similar like-minded guys. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I'll put, put a little plug in for him because it was life-changing. But Love it. I think, as you said, Rob, the power is getting together with men and being real. Mm-hmm. You know, drop the facades, <laughs> talk about real stuff, yeah. and help each other. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about community. Like, there's no denying that we were designed and made to be in community yeah. with other people. Yeah, so. doubt. Good stuff. One last thing. You touched on this book by Bob Buford. I know we just glossed over that really quickly. Sure. It's called Halftime. It is. Is that right? Probably not a bad idea for somebody to pick up a copy of oh, that. Oh, it's good. It's really good. It is. It will help formulate ideas of how to go from success, because this this was his ministry, from success to finding the significance in your life that it's where you can feel like I'm doing the thing I was created to do. You know, which is how I feel right now. I mean, it's, and I've never felt that before. You know, this is all my life. I was prepared for this moment and this time like this, you know? Yep. Yep. And it took 60 something years. Pretty powerful. Yeah. It's not never too late. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. Well, good, man. That's a, that's a great place to wrap up. Thank you for coming on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Rob. It's wonderful to be here with you. Well, the pleasure is ours, man. Can't thank you enough for making time for this. And with that, we will wrap things up and see you next time. Beautiful. Anytime. 